Doncic wins the game at the buzzer. Here we go. Welcome to another edition of The Gunshot. My name is Grant Gunn. I'm joined with my sister, Lauren, writer at MavsMoneyBall.com and co-host of the Blue Hardwood Podcast. We've got another great busy week in the NBA. Lauren and I actually are going to break down and update our award predictions thus far in the season. But before we do that, Lauren, there was a little bit of news today. They announced that the next um, round of CBA talks, the collective bargaining agreement, they're going to look into updating some of the rules around the buyout market. Lauren, talk to me about that. Um, that is the best news that I've seen in a very long time because <laughs> uh, I think a lot of fans have probably been very frustrated with how this buyout situation has gone this year. It's And like you said on our last pod, this is not a new concept, but this year it is so, so extreme. I mean, what we're seeing between the Brooklyn Nets, the Lakers, but not as much as the Brooklyn Nets. It's, it's, it's just, it's chaos. So um, I don't know what those rules, what sort of talks are going to be had and, and what to expect, but I like that they're at least addressing the madness that has ensued. You know, there's only so much you and I have also talked about how much control, where do you draw that line of control between team ownership and player empowerment? Like, where do you draw the line. And so uh, that gets really complicated. And I don't know if you or I are even uh, just like, I don't even know if we have enough to speak on that, but um, I'm glad that they're talking about it because I absolutely think it is something that needs to be addressed and maybe changed a little bit. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there. We, we touched on it last week and I think even the pod before that, you don't want to see these small market teams losing out on some of their better players because those better players are, are done with the season and would rather go chase a ring. Uh, I don't think that's good for the league. Um, obviously you look at the league and you say, well, really each year, only three, maybe four teams legitimately have a shot at winning a championship anyway. Um, so why, why should it matter? But the problem is it's, the NBA is not just a season to season thing. There are franchises and fans and, and all of this goes way beyond just one season at a time. And so I, I think something does need to be changed. Uh, for those who don't know, Lauren and I are talking about an article, real GM wiretap tweeted out an article today, um, kind of discussing that the NBA and the, the players association are going to talk about this ahead of the talks or ahead of the CBA expiring. This isn't going to happen till prior to the 2023-24 season. So, like, we are a ways out of this happening. And they actually they actually kind of quoted some interesting stats here. I'm just going to read straight from the article. Uh, there have been only 39 players who averaged at least two games and 10 minutes per, per game for an NBA playoff team over the past 15 years. Uh, 20 of those guys were signed into top 15 markets, while 19 – um, joined kind of the smaller mid-market teams. So when you like read it that way, it's not like as overwhelming as it seems. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if this year is an anomaly because everybody seems to be going to join the Nets, but we talked about last pod. Uh, guys have joined the Clippers, the Lakers. Um, it's not a new concept by any means. And I don't think it's going to change even, even though they're setting to talk about this. Uh, we've got a couple of years of this continuing before anything really does change. 
the article quotes Adam Silver's office doesn't seem to think it's much, much of an issue in terms of fairness between big and small markets, um, but, but that it's more contradictory to the financial system's goals. So um, whether or not Adam Silver takes a stance on this could play out uh, in, in some ways as well. Lauren, Lauren, do you have any other thoughts? Yeah, there, there is kind of an interesting angle that I want to present uh, to you and, and gauge your thoughts on it. I do see, you know, those tweets, I feel like I've even mentioned them on this podcast before, those tweets where it'll be like, all this just to stop this. And every now and like a lot of times it will be LeBron and you'll be looking at the Clippers, the Nets, Milwaukee, all these teams. But there's a lot of truth to that. If you look at this current era, like as LeBron is getting older, he one, he's LeBron, and two, he plays for the Los Angeles Lakers. And so having the uh, power that he does to really kind of pick and choose his teammates year after year, you do have a lot of these teams that are saying, look, we've got to stop. Like, who do we expect to come out of the Western Conference? Who is the you know, top tier that we're going to have to get over in order to hoist up that Larry O'Brien trophy. Who are we going to have to beat? And it's LeBron. So um, while LeBron, like, while a lot of these teams are trying to create, you know, super teams, quote unquote, or or just beef up their their top top heavy talent, they're doing that to try and compete with someone who is has that level of talent, but also has the ability to pick and choose his teammates. So I'm not going to sit here and say like, oh, you know, once LeBron is out of the league, this won't be a problem. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. But the era that we're currently in, a lot of these guys are saying, you know what? We can't beat LeBron unless we team up. And so uh, while I think that there are some teams that may maybe they could have taken, taken out the Lakers, I don't know. Like that's a whole other conversation. But right now you're seeing a lot of these top guys not just say hey we want to go to brooklyn because it's you know it's trendy or we want to go to the clippers or the lakers because i want to live in la like a lot of these these guys are either trying to get the chance to play with lebron while they still can or they want to beat him while they still can and hold up that ring so that's just kind of a way that i look at it where while i do have a lot of frustration with some of these situations like like the Blake Griffin situation and even the LaMarcus Aldridge situation, um, you can't knock that factor. Like some of these people wanting to say, hey, I beat LeBron or I played with LeBron and got a ship. So um, I don't know. There's That's just like one angle of looking at it. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think that really comes into play at all or it's just kind of like a circumstance of this era? I think it's more of the circumstance of the era. You look at we're in such a player empowerment era right now that if a guy says he wants to get traded, it's only really a matter of time before that actually ends up happening. And so it's kind of a similar thing where a guy says, hey, I'm, I'm done playing. Um, if you can't trade him, the next thing is to buy him out. And so um, I, I like to think it's more of an era thing. Um, but it's definitely interesting to see how it's going to play out. I'm interested to see if changes actually happen. It's one thing to talk about them. Um, it's true. It's another thing to talk about them three to four years from now. So we'll see if anything comes of it. Um, we are going to dive in. Uh, I do want to recap. So Lauren and I, our very first podcast we ever did together, we did our way too early uh, award predictions or, or awards of the season. And we did it about a third of the way through the season. Uh, we're about two thirds of the way through. So Lauren and I thought we would go back and update um, our, our picks. Um, so we'll do this as we go. We are going to start from the bottom and go up. Uh, Lauren, if you want to go first, I think we're going to do coach of the year first. Lauren, who do you got for coach of the year? Oh, man. For coach of the year, I'm switching up. I'm switching up from our first 
our first round, and I'm hopping over to your to your side. I am going to go with Quinn Snyder. What the Utah Jazz are doing is crazy. It was crazy back then when we first talked about it, and their win percentage has only gone up. They are the best team in the league right now. Um, and uh, I've had conversations with people about how people don't take the Utah Jazz seriously or they're not the best team in the league because they can't compete with L.A. They're not star. They don't have the top heavy talent. But And if you want to say all that, fine. But for them to be dominating the Western Conference with that lack of top-tier talent speaks even more to how amazing what they're doing is. So you can't have it both ways. I think what they're doing is just amazing. And a lot of that goes to that squad. They have a great squad, but also Quinn Snyder. So he gets my vote. What about you? Absolutely. I'm right there with you. Last time in our, our way-too-early predictions, you picked Doc Rivers. I picked Quinn Snyder. Again, I'm sticking with Quinn Snyder. I think that's point grant if we're keeping score. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm right there with you. The Jazz are just playing great basketball this year. um, And Quinn Snyder gets a lot of credit for that. So I'm right there with you. Quinn Snyder, coach of the year. Um, So let's move on, kind of keep it going. Rookie of the year is next. This one's an interesting situation. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll give you mine. But then we can have a conversation. You can give me yours after that. So we both had LaMelo Ball back when we first did our, our first podcast. Right. As of now, the way things stand, LaMelo Ball's played 41 games of the Hornets, 46 total. Now he's obviously out for out with an injury, and it was rumored that he's going to be out for the season. Lauren, you mentioned before the pod that uh, it looks like that may be reevaluated, and there's a, a slight chance that he does end up coming back to play. I still have him as my rookie of the year now, mm-hmm. only because – he, he just it has been the runaway kind of choice up to this point. Uh, we can talk in a minute about what things may look like at the end of the season. But Lauren, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Yeah, you know, it's really hard when these when injuries like this happen uh, because I want to say uh, in, in the year that it was Zion and Jaw, everyone was saying Zion has been absent. So it has to be Jaw and then kind of Z- Zion like reversed. Zion made a bit of a run at the end and then everyone was like, well, does he have enough of an argument to outweigh Jaw? And everyone was like, no, he doesn't. Like, look at what this kid is doing. And so um, it's really hard to kind of go in a different year and reevaluate it. But I, it's so hard for me to say that LaMelo ball isn't rookie of the year. And like you said, he's only missed a handful of games. And so I really hope he does come back um, selfishly just because I really want him to get it. I think he absolutely deserves it. Uh, But if he misses the rest of the season, I, I think there's a guy right behind him that has impressive enough numbers to say, you know what? I've been doing this all year. I deserve it more. And I think there's a chance he could get it just because of what we've seen just in, in the award races in general, like MVP, there are certain guys who aren't even up for it because while they put up crazy numbers, when they do play, maybe they've missed 30 games or 40 games. And so they're not even in the running for it. Uh, so that sometimes that just is a factor. And as, like I said, as much as I want to see it go to LaMelo, there's a good chance he doesn't get it. If he doesn't finish, if he doesn't come back this season. So who do you think that could be? Who, who would be the kind of, the person to come surpass him, whether it's um, due just to the volumes of game played or or their play or or both? Personally, I think it's Anthony Edwards. His numbers are not too, too far behind LaMelo's. Uh, I know the Wolves aren't necessarily the most impressive team in the league right now, but Anthony Edwards has been taking, I mean, he has been taking a step up lately, playing really well. 
uh, he's been leading their team in in running with Cat and and leading to them some to some impressive wins as of late. So uh, I will be really interested to see how he continues to perform the rest of this season. I will say one thing, kind of going to back to LaMelo real quick, I was not a fan of how quickly uh, rookie ladders changed after his um, after he went down with that injury. He was like immediately taken out of the race and then kind of moved down that chart, that ladder, and I, I did not like that one bit. But uh, to give you an idea of, of what Anthony Edwards has been doing as of lately, on March 18th, in an impressive win, over Phoenix, he went off for 42 points, seven rebounds, three assists, and two steals. And in his last three games, uh, the last game against New York, uh, they won, and he had 24 points, three assists, three steals, three blocks, and two rebounds. Like, this guy is doing a lot all over the court. So he absolutely deserves uh, some respect and, and the shout, for sure, or the nod, but... Um, the reason I, if Lamella was playing or finishing out the season is not just because of how his numbers are uh, slightly more impressive, in my opinion, than, than Anthony Edwards, but because of where Charlotte is at this season as a team. So it's going to be close, no doubt. But for me, it's Anthony Edwards in that second place. I like Halliburton, but his numbers aren't quite there for me. What are your thoughts uh, if Lamella does not come back this season? Yeah, I think I'm right there with you. I think as of now... Edwards is in that second spot. You mentioned Halliburton's numbers not being there. I think that might be changing. And here's here's why. I'll kind of he started the last eight games. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the, the Kings are six and two in their last eight since Halliburton started. Um, he's averaging 16 points a game, four assists, 2.5 rebounds. He's shooting 42, 41 and a half percent from three. Um, so. I, I, th- I think you're right. You touched on all the reasons Anthony Edwards is, is having a great season, but look out because I think Tyrese Halliburton is right on his heels and climbing fast. Yeah, um, so, so it'll definitely be an interesting rookie of the year race the rest of the year. Um, I do want to throw some love. Uh, Wiseman, I think, has mis- missed just a little bit too much time and, and things have been a little inconsistent. Um, Sadiq Bey, I, I don't think he, he has a case for rookie of the year potentially. Um, but if he shows up on, on one of these all rookie teams, I don't think we'd be surprised at all. He's been having a good season for Detroit. Absolutely. All righty. Well, let's move on to the next award. I think we're going to do six man of the year award. Uh, and last time Lauren, both of us had Jordan Clarkson, uh, as we're now another third of the way through the season. Do you have any changes to that? I don't have any changes to that. Like kind of going back to our coach of the year conversation, what the jazz are doing is incredible. And to be performing at that level in such a tough Western conference, you've got to have depth and a huge, huge part of that depth is Jordan Clarkson. Absolutely. Lauren and I, before the podcast started, we started just talking out loud of all the candidates for these different awards. We didn't really want to reveal too many of them to each other yet. um, Even though some of them seem to be no brainers like this six man of the year. Um, and we were really having a tough time kind of coming up with some candidates because it just seems like Clarkson has been great for the jazz. He's having a great year and he's been everything they could ask for. I did write Tim Hardaway jr. Who's averaging the second most points off the bench. Uh, I think that is partly skewed because he has started a handful of games this season. I know the other night Luca and KP were out and he poured it in, had like 31 or something crazy. Um, so his points per game for a bench guy is a little skewed. Um, but definitely, definitely a great bench player. Uh, Trez, Montrez Harrell out of uh, L.A. for the Lakers has also been having a good season, but I just don't think it's very close. Clarkson seems to be running away with that. 
Agreed. Well, alrighty. I think we're going to take a break. When we come back, we will dive into the rest of the awards. We've got most improved player, defensive player of the year, and MVP coming up. All right. Welcome back. So Lauren and I are diving into our updated prediction awards of the season to this point. It is April 1st, April Fool's. Uh, but nonetheless, we continue. Lauren, we're going to talk about most improved player. Um, in our first pod, you had Christian Wood. I had Colin Sexton. Mm-hmm. Now that we're another third of the way through the season, Lauren, who do you have as most improved player? You know, I might get a little bit of blowback on this one because I, I, the more I talk to people, I get a lot of different answers on this one, which is surprising a little bit, but I'm sticking with Christian Wood. I'm sticking with him. I think he has put himself into a different category. Uh, I know Jeremy Grant has also put himself in a different category this, this year, but uh, the, the three people, let me phrase it this way, the three people that I'm keeping my eye on for this award are Christian Wood, Jeremy Grant, and Julius Randle. And when I compare their numbers side by side, uh, the two that I look at the most and, and as far as who's, who made the most significant jump are Jeremy Grant and Christian Wood. And I, I just think Christian Wood's numbers are slightly better. They're, the, the increase is, is very, very close. But when I look at Christian Wood's numbers, they're slightly better. So um, I just, I don't know, that he gets the nod from me. What about you? It's definitely close. Yeah, for me, I lean the other way. I, I do go Julius Randle here. Um, I think what differentiates the two is the team success. When you look yeah, at yeah. most That's improved fair. player, um, it's usually a guy who all, who launches himself into that all-star category. Mm-hmm. And Julius Randle did just that, being named an all-star this year. Uh, and not only that, but the East, the Eastern Conference, uh, the Knicks are currently sitting sixth at 24 and 24. Uh, and he's a, he's a huge reason to that. So for me, it's Julius Randle. No knock on Christian Wood or Jeremy Grant. They're both having great seasons. I just think when you look at their improvement, it's because they're now taking on bigger roles, but it's for teams who aren't really doing a whole lot and, and are trying to play young guys. And so I don't I don't think that's a knock on them. They're obviously taking advantage of that opportunity. Uh, but I, I question how much of the opportunity or how much of the increase is attributed to the opportunity versus um, the actual improvement of the player. Sure. So, and, and that's not to knock the improvement that they have made because they're obviously young players and they are progressing. But I just think Julius Randle seems to, in my opinion, at least, he, he's kind of uh, far and above. I do want to mention Colin Sexton. I had him last uh, last pod. He uh, he's having a good season as well. But um, mm-hmm. for me, it's just Julius Randle. Fair. Alrighty. So Lauren, we're, we've got the big the big two awards left, and. Uh-huh. and we're saving the best for last because we've got a discussion to have there and that'll be interesting. Um, before we get to the MVP, let's talk about the defensive player of the year. I think we talked about this a little before the pod. Um, some of the guys we talked about, um, Giannis, Miles Turner, and then uh, I also mentioned Lou Dort. I think these are all guys that might show up on all defensive team. Uh, but I think we both kind of agree this is kind of a runaway. <laughs> another, another award that just doesn't have much to talk about. And another guy from the Utah Jazz, Rudy Gobert. Mm-hmm. Lauren, what do, you, what do you have to say about the defensive player of the year? So, uh, well, first I want to say just to continue the praise of the Utah Jazz, people are not taking them seriously. They are third in offensive rating, fourth in defensive rating, and first 
and net rating. And Rudy Gobert is a huge, huge part of that. Uh, Brian Pierce and McCade, uh, McCade, uh, friend of the pod, said that Rudy Gobert is or Donovan Mitchell is the Jazz best player, but Rudy Gobert is their most important player. And I will never forget that. I think that that is such an interesting statement. Um, But yeah, Rudy Gobert, his numbers are just, I mean, they're insane. And, And what the Jazz are doing defensively is, I mean, that's how you win championships by being top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating. And they're not just top 10, they're top five. That's unreal. So Rudy Gobert is averaging 13 rebounds a game along with just under three blocks at 2.9 blocks per game. That's insane. So for me, it has to be Rudy Gobert. Absolutely. So we've saved the best for last. Um, there, mm-hmm. There's a big conversation here with MVP. Um, <laughs> the conversation that the national media ha- is having is, is, is hard and worthy of being in the MVP discussion. I, I think we should start there before we reveal who our um, picks are. Let's talk about some of the candidates. Mm-hmm. Um and then we can make our picks. I, I want to start with Harden because I think this is a conversation uh, that is worth having. Lauren, is, is Harden worthy of being in the MVP discussion? He's absolutely worthy of being there, hands down. Just <laughs> I, looking I like, at his... I like the way you put the emphasis on worthy. Yeah, he, yeah he, he's worthy of being there solely by looking at his numbers. Uh, whether or not he gets my vote is an entirely different conversation. But... His numbers, yes, they are that impressive that he does deserve to be there. Granted, like you said, that's an impressive 11 assists per game, but who's he passing to? Every single buyout candidate. I mean, (laughs) these are good players that he's passing to, so let's just keep that in mind. Uh, I don't know. It's... There's a lot of spacing on that team, given a lot of gravity from KD when he's out there, Kyrie when he's out there, Joe Harris. Like, there's a lot of gravity being pulled in different directions. And these guys are so talented individually. Um, so I can't, I mean, it's, I can't knock his numbers because there's just, there's so much going on in Brooklyn. But I have a hot take for you. Are you ready? I don't roast me for it. I don't know if, it, I don't know if uh, NBA Twitter is ready for this one. Um, I am more impressed by Damian Lillard's season than I am James Harden's season's season. Interesting. All righty. Break that down for me a little bit. So James Harden's numbers, if you look at them at the surface, they are more impressive than Dame's. But for all the same reasons that I just said, look at who he's passing to. And I know his rebounds are also more impressive than Damian Lillard's, but Damian Lillard is averaging just under 30 points, eight assists, four rebounds on 38. Sorry, hold on. Yeah, 38, 52, 94 shooting splits. While the Portland Trailblazers are sixth in the West, right there with the Lakers, Nuggets, four, five, six, Lakers, Nuggets, Blazers. They are right there, half game difference. He was carrying this Blazers team. With no Nurkic, CJ McCollum just came back, and Damian Lillard had them. They were just just up until I want to say like a week ago, they were fourth in the West. Like what he's doing with this team is crazy. Might have been fifth, but he gets a lot more credit from me for doing that with a very wounded, under-equipped uh, Blazers team. When comparing it to what James Harden is doing with, I know KD has been hurt, but the Brooklyn Nets team is far more talented 
than the Portland Trailblazers team. So for Dame to be doing that is insane. So for me, I give him more credit than I give James Harden. Uh, James Harden, again, let me reiterate, James Harden's numbers are more impressive but at, at a surface level. But when you really kind of peel back the layers and look at how those numbers might be, I am far more impressed by Damian Lillard. Yeah, I think that's an interesting take. I don't, I don't know that you're too out of line with that either. Uh, Dame is sometimes I'm not sure from this world. Um, <laughs> right. We saw no what he kidding. did in the All-Star game, just pulling from deep, showing that range. He does stuff like that just on a nightly basis. So I'm not like fully sure he's human. Right. Um, but I wonder how much of playing in Portland hurts some of his kind of narrative because right. James Harden's obviously the big name, big market. Um, Dame's playing up in Portland and it's just, oh, that's a nine o'clock game. I'm going to miss that if I'm on the East Coast. And so that's a really good point. So does he not get as much love? Um, I, I think Damian Lillard has a great case. He's one of the guys that I have um, as my candidate or as one of my candidates. Lauren, I do want to go back to Harden because I think there is something that's interesting. And, and I kind of want to go down a, a rabbit hole here, not as much related okay. to the MVP race. I, I wonder if this helps Harden's MVP race, though. I saw something today that KD, Harden, and Kyrie have only played seven games together this season. I know KD has been out with an injury. Uh, he's looking to come back soon. So, so maybe they'll get some run here together before the playoffs. Um, I wonder if that helps Harden's case though because you look at a lot of these guys over the league some of the guys we're going to talk about they all kind of have a second um I don't want to say star but they definitely have definitely have a second guy to lean on and Mm -hmm. and Dame to his credit has not had that Um, and and that definitely has been a huge part of his case um whereas Harden definitely has whether it's been Katie or Kyrie right um but the fact that that Harden hasn't had both guys to lean on yeah, um, and, and has had to do some of the things he he's done. I think kind of helps his case. He has the Nets at first in the East right now, mm-hmm. um, so I think that's interesting. But the question I wanted to pose to you, the rabbit hole that I kind of wanted to go down, is: Do you think the lack of games that the Nets big three have played together is going to hurt them at all come playoff time, or do you think these are three guys who are just going to hit it in stride right when they need to when it matters most? God, that is a good question, and I could probably break that down for. Hours and hours. Um, I am super big on continuity. So to a, to an extent, I think, yeah, there are going to be some miscues that are going to hurt. You just hope that those miscues don't come in the last five minutes of the game and they're in the first quarter of the game or the first half where the Nets are already up by 15 to the Hawks or whoever it ends up being. Um, but... I don't know. That's 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 really diff- that's really tough because you look at Philadelphia, you look at Milwaukee, even Miami. These are teams that know each other very well. Um, and so when I look at Brooklyn, to me, it won't be the continuity or the relationships that or the re- relationship is a bad way to put it, but uh, it won't be the continuity or the the lack of playing time together that hurts them. That's that's my thoughts on that. Um, but it's a really interesting. That's a really interesting comment because there are certain teams that I think match up with them. Uh, int- like it's an interesting matchup to where that other team might outweigh them. And so if you see those miscues, those timely miscues happening at very unfortunate times for the Brooklyn Nets, well, maybe, maybe it does end up making a difference. What do you think? Do you think it could be a problem? 
I think we're going to get to see here over the next few weeks. Katie's set to come back soon. And so I think we're going to see how the true big three-headed monster that Brooklyn has to offer can play out. The problem is I don't think we're going to see them in a pressure cooker situation until the playoffs. Now, again, to the Nets' benefit, you touched on it. Their first-round matchup is probably going to be somebody like the Hawks or the Pacers. Could be the Celtics, which might be interesting. Um, But I think generally they're going to have a round or two where they get to kind of iron some of these things out in a playoff environment. And I think that's going to help them a lot. Um, The history behind James Harden in the playoffs is also very well documented. I don't know that that will come to fruition because he's got KD and Kyrie who both have championship experience to lean on. Um, Mm -hmm. But there will no doubt. I mean, there's already going to be an immense amount of pressure on these guys for the team that they have put together. Um, I don't know if it's it's going to become too much. Uh, I look at the Eastern Conference, and Lauren, you did a TikTok kind of um, talking about the Nets matchups the other day. Um, I just don't see it. I just think the Nets have way too much talent, and and the way the Eastern is the East is formatted, being so top heavy, I just think they're going to have enough time to kind of iron out any kinks they may have, and they're they're just going to be able to roll right to the finals. Maybe I'll yeah. be wrong, and I personally hope I am. I hope that I don't have to wait till the finals to watch an Eastern Conference um, competitive series, but um, we'll see how that goes. Um, a lot to play out, definitely. Um, yeah. And for all we know, the Nets might kind of take it easy and, and rest Harden this night, play just KD and Kyrie, then rest Kyrie this night, and, and take turns kind of resting those guys because – Why wouldn't you? Right. They think, hey – when it matters most, we'll turn it on and we'll be just fine. And they very well, they very well may be. So be interesting to see how that plays out. But anyway, back to our MVP conversation. We touched on Harden. We touched on um, Dame. Uh, another guy I want to talk about, Embiid, is who I had back in our, our early pod. 76ers are still right there. They're a half game behind Brooklyn in the Eastern Conference standings. Embiid is having a great year, and I, th- I think he deserves a lot of praise too. Um, I don't know that he – vaults himself above Dame or Harden in this this conversation. And so I, I don't have him this time, not to knock anything on on the 76ers and what they've done this season because he is balling out. Um, there's, there's two other guys that I want to talk about. Um, one of them is my pick. And then mm-hmm. I want to present a dark horse because I see a potential um, I see a potential situation playing out. Uh, where the national media gets on board, I should say gets back on board. Um, <laughs> and then and then the rest just kind of takes over. And that's Luca Magic. Mm-hmm. The Mavs are sitting seventh in the West right now. Now, I'm obviously biased. I will admit that up front. Like I am a huge Mavs fan. I will die on the hill of a Mavs fan. I, I might I'm I'm getting married end of May. I might be wearing a Dirk jersey underneath my suit. So amazing. I I'm I admit up front, I am biased, but the Mavs sitting seventh right now in the West, if they go on a tear here and start climbing up the standings, whether it's sixth or fifth, the Lakers have some injuries, so they may be dropping here soon. Um, if the Mavs start to make a run and are climbing up, um, you may look at, at Luka Doncic as the reason why um, these guys are, are kind of jumping into contention. He's shooting 37% from three. You, you look at the biggest, not biggest complaint, or the biggest knock on Luca's game is that he wasn't a consistent three-point shooter. He shot mm-hmm. 8.9 threes last year, 7.1 the year before that, but he's 
but he never shot better than 32.7%. He's shooting 37.7, almost 38% right now, averaging 28 points a game, nine assists, eight rebounds. I mean, he's carrying the team and he's doing it at an elite level. So obviously a lot has to happen. The Mavs need to kind of start to separate themselves from, from the bottom half of the West here, or at least put them in contention with some of these um, these more competitive teams, the Nuggets, the Lakers, the Blazers, uh, and even the Clippers. But but look out for Luka Doncic. Uh, that leaves one guy to talk about, and then I'll kind of dump it over to you, and that's Nikola Jokic. I don't know who, who your MVP pick is. I told you before the podcast I couldn't pick and that I was going to do it in the spur of the moment, but – I, I looked at his numbers, and and for me, it's Jokic. What about you, Lauren? I know I just went on a huge tangent talking. No, about that was talking about Jokic. All. So I want to give you a chance to respond, whether it be to Luca, whether it be to Jokic, or both. What do you got? Yeah. So so with Luca, uh, it was. I'm glad you mentioned his three point percentage because I I'm sure you recall the very dark period where the Mavs started off the season weren't winning many games. Luca was shooting nine percent from the three point line, and everyone was saying. Luca was the favorite, like he was the MVP favorite this summer or this season. Are you joking? Are you joking? 9% from the three-point line. Uh, and so that it's almost like he got tossed out without even giving it a second thought. So yeah, the West is very deep, but like I said, we you uh you, me, and all the other Mavs fans are sitting here looking at Portland and Denver right ahead of us. And while we would need to go on a little run, and those two, those are two teams that just got better at the deadline. You just never know what can happen. Maybe we pick up a few here and there. Uh, I'm like the month of May is a pretty is pretty nice for the, for the Mavs schedule. So you just never know. Luca continues to have the games that he is continuing to shoot that percentage up. You just never know what can happen. But again, when certain teams, it's a, like when you start off the season slow, like that's what kind of I mean that's what where people stick with. So uh, if Luca had started off the way he is now and fallen off a little bit, I don't think he would be getting the same like. I'm not going to say slander, but like the same, uh, just like knock on him, I guess. Like, like the words just aren't coming to me, but uh, he's just not being considered because of how we started off. But his numbers are right there with the best of them. And our record is not that much worse than Denver. And it's not that much worse than uh, Portland. And so if you're talking about Damian Lillard and what he's doing by himself, a lot of people are sitting there saying, Luca has no help. Nobody's out there helping Luca. So why are we not saying the same thing about Luca that we are saying about Dame? But that's just not the conversation. And granted, Dame has been around a lot longer. Like I know there are certain things that come with respecting Dame's game, and I full I'm fully aware. And I know that there will come a time when it feels like year after year Luca could win the MVP, but he won't because there will be voter fatigue because he will have already won one. So I'm fully aware that sometimes it's just you just gotta wait for your time, which is why Luca is not my pick for my predicted MVP this year. I am with you. I think it is Nikola Jokic. Uh, his numbers are somewhat similar to um, James Harden's. Like if you switch their rebounds and assists, you're kind of looking at the same player. But what Jokic is doing uh, on a team that is not as stacked as the Brooklyn Nets to me is more impressive. His three-point percentage is is more impressive, even though James Harden shoots more threes. Uh, I'm just, to me, it's Jokic. I think he has a a greater impact on his team than James Harden does on the Nets. Absolutely. Before people come for our heads and say, oh, but Brooklyn's first in the East, 33 and 15 compared to 29 and 18, the Nuggets. James Harden is top 10 in points, top 10 in assists. That's it. 
Nikola Jokic, top 10 in points, top 10 in rebounds, top 10 in assists, top 10 in steals. The dude is huge, and he is top <laughs> 10 in the league in steals, people, all while also shooting 43% from three. I don't want to say it's a runaway because we talked about a lot of these guys and how they all have a case. But Jokic is just out of his mind this season, playing unbelievable. So for me, it's Nikola Jokic. Go off. I love it. You just hit all the points right there. I'm glad you brought up those numbers because I did not have them in front of me. Go off. I came I prepared. It. I did my homework and you I sure was ready. sure did. You were ready. <laughs> well, that covers it. it for this time, this edition of The Gunshot. Uh, come join us next week. Before we sign off, I do want to point out you can find us on TikTok. Uh, for those who may have found us on TikTok before, you'll find a very uh, distinct difference in the TikToks that I was posting versus the ones that my sister <laughs> have been posting. TikTok, oh my our god! Our TikTok game has stepped it up a level. <laughs> Before I think weekly, I was just posting a little soundbite saying, "Hey, come check us out." Lauren is now dropping takes. She's dropping comparisons, all kinds of things on TikTok. So come check us out there. You can also find us on Twitter. Both of those are at the Gunshot. That's Gun with two N's. Uh, and we will see you all next week. <laughs>